VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today the bowery boys episode 68 the new york city marathon hey it's the bowery boys hey the bowery boys is brought to you by eurocheapo.com eurocheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in europe now with hotels in new york city on the web at eurocheapo.com hello there and welcome to the bowery boys my name is greg young Tom Myers is not here this week, but I have a special guest, so I'm not. it's just not going to be me yammering on about something. We've brought back Tanya Bielski-Bram. You may remember her from the Yankees podcast. Hello, Tanya. Welcome back. Hi, Greg. Thank you so much for having me come back. And it's another jock topic. <laughs> I know, it, which is so funny because um, if my old gym teacher, Mrs. Cobb, were listening, <laughs> she would fall over. Does she have iTunes? Uh, <laughs> But part of the reason that we've brought her back is today's topic is the New York City Marathon. And this is going to be an episode in two halves. The first half, of course, is we're going to do the history of the New York City Marathon from its beginnings, 1970, all the way up to present. But then the second half of our podcast is going to be kind of like a little different. We're going to walk through what it takes to be in the marathon because Tanya has not only run the marathon last year, but is going to be running it just in a few days. Absolutely. So strap on your running shoes and come with us as we take a lap around the history of the New York City Marathon. Get ready, start, go. Right. Well, since you ran the marathon, you've lived it and breathed it. You've blood, sweat, and tears. Um, I'm giving you the honor of situating us. What is the New York City Marathon? What's give us some, you know, the the stats, if you will. Okay, the New York City Marathon um, runs through all five boroughs of New York City. Uh, starts in Staten Island, goes through Brooklyn, Queens, through Manhattan, a mile in the Bronx, and then back into Manhattan. Last year's marathon had me. And uh, Katie Holmes, <laughs> as well as more than about 40,000 other runners from about 107 countries. So Katie Holmes, like the actress, Tom Cruise, Katie Holmes, and yes. you, and and almost 40,000 other runners. Of the finishers, about one-third were women. And um, you will find a variety of different kinds of people running the marathon, old, young. Um, last year's winner was Paula Radcliffe, um, who was greeted at the finish line with her nine-month-old beautiful baby girl. Oh wow! That she had just given birth to, like she like completely... gave birth and then went started training. That's uh, she's a superwoman. Yes. And so, who is the men? The males winner? The men's winner? Um, Martin Lell. And they both won before, right? 
They won previous years, correct. Um, and in total, 749,000 plus people have crossed the finish line during the 30 plus years to- of the New York City Marathon. Total, yes. Wow, that is, that's so many people who have the energy and patience and discipline to run the marathon. But for those people who are like maybe really sports illiterate, a marathon is just it's a, an elongated road race of a certain length. It is supposed to be, it's from um, ancient Greece. It's the um, distance from Marathon to Athens. Um, it's about 25 miles. It's actually 26.2 miles, as you know, as th- yes. the hard way, but it was run 25 miles. Since the beginning of Olympics, it's been 25 miles. Until 1908, during the London Olympics, when the Queen Mother and the Princess, they wanted to be present for the race, so they had them extend it so they could start at Windsor Castle. So all of a sudden, then it became 26 miles, and then at the very end of the race, the Queen wanted them to do one more quick round, so it was like right in front of their box. Yes, and the lap. And a lap is usually about a quarter of a mile. One additional lap, because you've run that much already. you know, you really don't care after that point. (laughs) It's all delirious. (laughs) So that's the sort of legend behind the real story of the length of the marathon. But marathon running, although it existed in the 20th century, it wasn't the phenomenon that it certainly is now and became in the 70s with, you know, dozens of charity marathons and thousands and thousands of people participating in them. It was kind of seen as sort of like the the oddballs own track and field event sort of you know they called it you know it was referred to as road running because you know most of the people who are running on lo- alongside of highways the new york road runners club this was the organization that grouped all these fans of of long distance running together it was founded in june of 1958 all 47 members were men Back then, it was kind of not seen as a as a women's sport yet. Unfortunately, their very first marathon was called the Cherry Tree Marathon. It was in the Bronx in 1959. It was named after George Washington because they had it on his birthday. Um, but they did most of their training, believe it or not, Tanya. I'm bringing back the Yankees um, at, at the little park across from Yankee Stadium. So and apparently, they, they used the men's locker room there, which I can't imagine they would possibly be allowed to. <laughs> To do that today with all the multi-million dollar players but yes they did they used their own locker room and but the whole notion was that they were, they were all in the bronx it was all this little quirky sport it was kind of out of the way and then came fred fred lebeau now i'm we're gonna probably say his name lebo and lebeau both way i've heard it literally dozens of times in both ways but so. his mother would have referred to him as Faisal Leibowitz exactly that was his the name he was born with Faisal Leibowitz Fred was as you as you can guess was from an Orthodox Jewish family born in Transylvania I didn't know people <laughs> were actually born in Transylvania Transylvania's a region in Romania and he was born there when he was a teen his entire family escaped the Holocaust essentially by moving all around Europe into different places you know and he used to tell a story we have Really, no way of knowing if this was the truth, but it was one of his stories that he told, a little, or a little legend, that in order to really survive as a teenager, he had to become a diamond smuggler. Oh, it's a good thing he ran fast. Across enemy lines with pockets full of d- jewels, you know? Um, we only have his word for it, unfortunately. But he, he moved to Brooklyn at age 19, uh, moved around a bit, but then, do you, this is where it just turns left for me. I love it, though. But he eventually attended FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology. By this time, it was the 60s, and he was employed as, I guess, the only way you can really say it, as someone who was 
ripping off high fashion. He was in the garment district. So he would go to the fashion shows and watch the newest lines and then go back to the garment district and try to like copy them. It's so weird. It's one of these jobs that you, you don't believe that someone actually does, but there he is. He's doing it. But he happened to also be a very avid runner. He started running actually uh, in Central Park Reservoir, where it's so many one, people. It's one point five eight miles around the entire reservoir. I mean, it's been seen in like every Woody Allen movie. Yeah, I mean, Jackie Kennedy ran across. I mean, everybody, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's where you, if you're going to run, that's where you start. He and he joined the Roadrunners Club in 1969, and but it's funny because he was this downtown, sophisticated, suave kind of guy compared to all the others, and so he. You know, he's kind of stuck out like a sore thumb, but they were soon to be very glad to have him. Now, he probably recognized an opportunity when he saw it. As you'll see, he's really driven. He's a really driven and he's really single-minded about things. So it was around this time that, I mean, the Roadrunners really, they did need to move because traffic's just getting really bad. The Bronxes are getting bad. To just be run- being like a solo runner running down the streets, probably not the best thing. Like people would throw rocks at them. They would get, <laughs> they would get cat calls. Lebo did this, um, convince them to move down to Central Park, and he wanted to actually raise the, not only the group's profile, but the whole profile of marathoning at all. So they decided, of course, to have the very first marathon, September 19th of 1970. So there was 127 runners for the first marathon. Like 120, and, and one woman... And she quit at mile 15. <laughs> but, you know, I have to defend her, because the first marathon, they did four laps around Central Park. And every year I've done a tune-up in Central Park that's 18 miles, which is three laps around Central Park. And let me tell you, by like the second time you hit the boathouse, you want to drown yourself. (laughs) It's so monotonous. So I can't imagine knowing that on Sunday I'd have to run four laps inside Central Park. It would be (laughs) deadly. She would end up being the female first place winner uh, a a couple times later. And she was a, a marathon runner. It was just that inglorious way to begin the marathon but it wasn't promoted the, the park certainly wasn't closed down people were still doing business throwing footballs pushing baby carriages and there were all these people you know running around and it was the 70s car- so god knows what was happening in central park <laughs> well like it was the early 70s so maybe it wasn't quite so bad but it was getting there but fred was not discouraged he continued to promote the marathon so in 1972 he became the president Total one-man cheerleader for everything, making calls, standing in the park and passing out pins and everything. So the marathon they would have it every year. But in 1972, there was another race. It's funny. It's it's a far more cheesy, seemingly less insubstantial race, but but brought a lot of attention. And it was called, have you heard of this, Tanya? The 10K Crazy Legs Race. I think um, today it's called the Women's Half Marathon. Women's Half Marathon. Or Mini Marathon. Back in the day, but you know why it's called the Mini Marathon? It's because it was named after mini skirts. And it was sponsored by Johnson Wax Shaving Cream, later to be sponsored by Legs. You know, Which, like Legs, the, uh, the pantyhose legs. Because, of course, you want to run through the park with pantyhose on. Um and Playboy bunnies apparently were running through the park. I hope in tails and bunny ears. <laughs> no, well, it would be awesome to have them in the ears. But they, Fred was like, "We need to get some. We need to get cameras. We need to ha- promote this thing." So he would do anything. So yeah, sure enough, and called it the Playboy Mansion. I don't know. I mean, I don't like. Well, there's the Playboy Club in Midtown. At I the guess time, maybe so. the, maybe that's what he called up. So some of them came out to How kind of. How did I help become out. a wealth of knowledge of the Playboy bunnies? <laughs> What's in your past, Tanya? Is there something we don't know? Um, it's, so this mini marathon. It ended up being a, it was a very small race, but it ended up being kind of high profile. 
in bringing attention to races that start in Central Park. Today, the New York Roadrunners sponsors a race in Central Park pretty much three times a month, and it's so common. So back then, this was very unusual. So they're, st- they're still having marathons. They're, um, they're growing in number. Um, and by 1975, they have 534 runners. As you said, though, it's you know, four laps around Central Park. And with this many people, it's just not going to, that's not going to be enough room. Uh, there's way too many pedestrians because they're still not like shutting down the park totally. And I mean, Central Park, it's not even surfaces you want to run into. It's like hilly. It's very uneven. So 1976, I mean, what's happening in, in the United States? It's, it is the centennial. One of the roadrunners, his name was George Spitz, uh, he actually first proposed this idea of, well, let's see, why don't we have a special bicentennial race that goes through all the boroughs? Fred didn't really like this idea. I mean, honestly, there's like a lot of negatives towards this. I mean, well, I you'd have to control how you control 26.2 miles of people running. In New you York have City. to involve <laughs> the police, the fire departments, and uh, it, it's a potential logistical nightmare. And then it's like, it's is it safe? I mean, is it safe for the runners to be going through some of these neighborhoods in 1976? Hmm. And this is a time when the city's going through such financial turmoil. And not only do, does the city not have any money, the road runners don't even have any money either. They actually had to get $20,000 from a real estate magnet to actually sponsor this very first race that did end up cutting through all five boroughs. And the LeBeau ended up inviting an Olympic gold medalist to the race and i think that probably helped publicize there were actually two olympic runners and they had a bit of a rivalry their names are fred shorter and bill rogers this was kind of a big coup for them to have like these very high profile athletes to run this race in 1976 would grab a lot of headlines and um that year just by the way bill rogers ended up winning so they finally have the first race through all the boroughs, and it's on October 24th, 1976, 2,090 marathoners. And a $5 entrance fee. And I have to talk about that because my entrance fee, I think I blocked it out. I think it's like $160. $5 in a cash-crunched New York City ain't so bad. Can you imagine what it was like to be the very first runners in this? Well, Just to see, like, to be, like, see all five boroughs. It's like a you know they're taking a tour, and then the crowds, of course, are not seeing anything like this before well, I'm sure either. At first, they must have thought people were crazy, or this is an inconvenience. Yeah, um, sure. Today, I think the city embraces the marathoners as they go by. It actually ended up; they actually really did end up selling the marathon because nothing really bad happened. It was like, oh, okay, you know what? This is actually a really great idea for the city. As a matter of fact, there was a a journalist who went on record who said. 26 miles, 385 yards, and nobody got mugged. So I'm guessing because nobody got mugged, they thought it, that was, it was probably a, a huge success. Yeah. So the so as a matter of fact, next the next year, the number of runners doubled. Now Lebo changed the course a little bit. He moved it from the Brooklyn Navy Yard to Bedford Avenue, really opening up the marathon more to the public. Well, I mean, Bedford Avenue is one you know one of the most busiest places in Brooklyn, and I absolutely understand that. Fred himself was still going out there; would go to every newscaster possible who would who would listen to him to you know to sell his religion of the marathon. 
Luckily for him, though, by the early 80s, it, this would all connect with the, all the workout, exercise craze. Let's get physical. So a little Olivia, a little Jane Fonda workout. Uh, of course, then other cities in, internationally would then host their own marathons, and this would just really catch fire. Um, you know, In particular, Chicago would create a very huge rival one that would happen at the same time. They would also get huge corporations to help sponsor this, which was a fairly new idea for mm-hmm. these types of events. Today, it's sponsored by ING. ING. A Dutch company, right? Current financial service company. I hope they're doing well. This whole thing, of course, made Fred a huge celebrity. And they would the Roadrunners himself would have all of these funny races like throughout the year. They even had like a race up the Empire State Building. They still building. do that. They still do that? Yeah, you, I don't know That's when it is. Um, it's actually quite popular now with firefighters in honor of 9-11. They even had like a backward run, like where everyone was running backwards. They would have a Halloween run where people were in costume. They, have a, um, they also have a New Year's Eve run. Oh, and they would like champagne at the yeah, stops. And, um, <laughs> that just sounds like all kinds of wrong. Women were maybe a little bit disparaged during the very beginning of the marathon. There are two women, I think, that are the most important to the marathon, one of them for good, one of them for ill. The first one being, in 1978, a woman by the name of Greta Weiss. She ended up winning nine marathons. She ran 11 and won nine of them. And she would continue to be um, an active voice in the marathon. I mean, that just sounds... She was a, a Norwegian athlete. Today, the New York City um, New York Roadrunners has a honor a run for her every year called Greta's Great Gallop. It's also a kid's <laughs> run. And it's the most fun out of any of the New York Roadrunners races because there's bagels and locks at the end. The other woman, unfortunately, in 1979, a little bit more notorious, her name was Rosie Ruiz. There is no run named for Rosie. (laughs) She, quote, ran the New York Marathon and she qualified for the Boston Marathon where she then finished the Boston Marathon at a record time. And then they realize, oh, wait a minute, she actually didn't run the whole marathon. Then they look back in New York and they found out that she actually took it the subway for like one part of it. Like there was- She got on the R train. I believe. I'm not positive, but I think she got on the R train. From what I heard, a, a journalist actually had seen her on the train and didn't put two and two together about this until after the Boston Marathon. And that's when <laughs> a lot of this kind of began to fall into place. Let's go back to another great legend for the marathon. His name was Alberto Salazar. He won from 1980 to 1982. Believe it or not, he would be the last American male to win the marathon. And even crazier, on the women's side, an American woman hasn't won since 1977. There's hundreds, thousands of foreign athletes that compete in it. Many of these foreign runners are like our professional athletes are who are, I mean, who run lots of marathons and who are fantastic at it on an Olympic level. In the 80s, Fred started to kind of pay some of these uh, athletes under the table to bring them into the marathon to kind of make the marathon more legitimate. The mayor at the time, Ed Koch, absolutely thought this was scandalous. He thought this was cheapening the race. Uh, he thought that this was sort of taking the fun out of it because they were throwing in all these athletes. Tanya, I mean, you can attest to this. The, quote, elite athletes start first. So it's not like in, everyone even starts at the same time, which I guess would be physically impossible with so many people. I think that if you do have professional athletes who train all year long and prize money's all they're getting from their income... I think Ed Koch needs to chill out a little. <laughs> well, I mean, he, and he ended up doing but that, yes. I think the, the marathon has a very clever balance between the professional athletes and all the rest of us. I think equally both are cheered and admired. 
No ill will, no bad blood. There was also another controversy due to the wheelchair races. Now, there are uh, people in wheelchairs are right alongside the regular runners, but this was also kind of controversial. Um, Fred thought it was, he was kind of against it at first because he thought it would be dangerous for both, for everybody involved. Obviously, they were allowed in and to compete. And I would think if there's anything more challenging than running with your legs 26.2 miles, it would be using your arms the whole time. These people have biceps of steel. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's really remarkable to see them. So sadly, when, um, in 1990, Fred LeBeau was diagnosed with brain cancer. He was the heart and soul of this marathon for 20 years at this time. But interestingly, because he was in he was in charge of the race, he very rarely ran it. He ran the very first one, but most of the time he was... It's the man behind the scenes. Yes. So in 1992, even though he was very weakened, he actually ra- got to run his very first five-borough New York City marathon. He ran it with his old friend, Greta Weitz. You know, he didn't finish very quickly, obviously. Uh, he finished in five hours and 32 minutes. But it was this remarkable story of, you know, overcoming things that are happening to you. And it was really inspiring for New Yorkers and for everyone in the United States who was watching it. He was greeted to rapturous applause. He was even quoted as saying, I never believed so many people would watch a miserable runner two hours behind, but I think they were there for many other reasons. And unfortunately, Fred died in 1994 at age 62. But Tanya, wouldn't you agree now that sort of because of this, the race, it takes on lots of different dimensions now because it's not only popular with just people who want to run and who are athletic, but for people who have kind of like overcome a lot of bad, crazy things the in race their lives. is really popular with like former alcoholics people who really want something to prove people who were never athletic and really want to prove to themselves that they are capable of running 26.2 miles which leads me to a question tanya why exactly did you run the marathon for the very first time last year i've been watching the new york city marathon from my apartment in brooklyn for years before i was even ready to run the marathon. It's an inspiring sight to see all these amazing athletes and then average people running. I really wanted to be a part of it desperately, but I wasn't really in shape. Um, And I just, you know, eventually started taking better care of myself. I lost weight. I started training. And I've heard that there is a lottery to get in. Now, but there's a a few ways to get into the... There's several ways to get in. The first way is um, if you're a member of New York City Roadrunners, you run a certain number of races the year before and you automatically qualify. They just amended those rules so that if you have to also volunteer at at an event the year before and run a certain number of races. And that's what you did for the second year, for this year. Okay. And then the second way, there's the lottery, which means that you fill out paperwork, your name gets put into a hat, and they pick you or don't pick you. And I don't know anybody's actually gotten picked via the lottery. Oh, so that's that's actually, it's sort of like winning a million (laughs) dollars. But if you um, apply for the lottery three years in a row and never get picked, you automatically get in the next year. Well, then, of course, if you're an elite athlete, if you just qualify. If you're you're an elite athlete, you're obviously going to be qualified to run the marathon and you also can run it for charity which you have to raise a large sum of money i think it's fifteen hundred dollars for a charity and the list of charities for new york roadrunners is as long as a page well the very beginning of the race um you start in uh, fort wadsworth in mm-hmm. staten island and it's really incredible because you 
get off the bus. It's like five in the morning and there's people waiting, Staten Islanders cheering you. And you haven't even done anything. You don't even run in Staten <laughs> Island, really. And so you, um, I mean, you all can't start at once and you have, you have chips in your shoes. Is this correct? Yeah. There's wave starts and you get a chip that you tie to your sneaker. And it records you at certain places along the race. And today, the technology is such where it will send an email to your friends so they know where you are. So it's a huge spectacle, of course, at the Verrazano Narrows Bridge. The mayor arrives in a helicopter. Like, the fire department sprays red, white, and blue water and it's everything. It's cr- incredible. They play New York, New York. Last year, I, um, I was on the top tier of the Verrazano Bridge. Which apparently is a very good thing because I had learned from a friend of mine that if you're on the bottom part of the bridge, the second tier of the Verrazano, you will get peed on. And I'm like, people pee on you? But when I was running over the Verrazano, I actually saw several men drop their pants to pee off the bridge. Oh my, like some sort of like a rite. It's a rite of passage. Yeah, so run us through here through some of the areas in in Brooklyn. You're running past all sorts of different kinds of people. I'll never forget when I got off the bridge, I, I turned on like 92nd Street. I'm running past this old woman's apartment and this little Asian woman is out on her porch with a little gong and she's dancing. (laughs) <laughs> and she's cheering us and she's it's like she's does this every year like it's her tradition does she know what's going on i'm sure she knows what's going on there's like forty thousand people running by her apartment so visualizing it in my head here bay ridge and you then that's lower you're, you're, brooklyn and then you go through sunset, sunset park. park right okay so then next you have park slope right and then you yeah. have brooklyn academy of music you go by and then well, clinton hill well what's really amazing about running the marathon and i told greg before the podcast that it's sort of like the fastest walking tour of New York City. It's a real good exercise of urban geography. And you can really see what the city is like from the ground view and how it's evolved even overnight. You head towards Williamsburg. And then in everything that Williamsburg has to offer from hipsters to the Hasid, right? Wait, well, that- it's, a, it's really remarkable. You'll go through the Hasidic neighborhoods. And of course, they don't, especially the women, they will not look at you. It's their religion not to notice you, um, even though you may be wearing very little. What's sort of interesting is the children can't stop watching. Oh, well, of course not. Um, and then you sort of turn a corner and you are in the middle of like hipster Williamsburg. So from Williamsburg to to Greenpoint, I, it cuts through Greenpoint, right? It, you I've cut heard, through I've... Greenpoint and um, it's in a Greenpoint's a really Polish neighborhood. And I think one of the things that I find so fascinating about the New York City Marathon is the diversity of different neighborhoods you'll go through. You'll go through an all-Arab neighborhood in Bay Ridge, for instance, Latino in Sunset Park. You'll go through a Jewish neighborhood. And Greenpoint is mostly a Polish neighborhood, which is my background. And um, these little Polish ladies who all look like my grandmother were peeling oranges and handing them to us as we were running by. Very helpful. So then you go to the official halfway mark, if I, be- I believe, is the Pulaski Bridge, then which crosses from Brooklyn to Queens and takes you right there and throws you in the middle of Long Island City, I which, believe. It's a very desolate area. The, and this must be strange because then once you go over to the, the Queensboro Bridge, the 59th Street Bridge, there are obviously no spectators, right? It's, a lot of marathoners say it's the hardest part of the race because really the crowd pushes you through it. And the Queensboro Bridge is deadly quiet. 
I mean, it's also where you stop talking to each other. But then once you burst onto the well, street you burst, of Manhattan. Yeah, it's, you hear the crowds, you go lower, you're on, then you're on First Avenue, you go up First Avenue. Up through the Bronx, and you're only there for a mile. Now, you, in the old days, it literally used to be like around a lamppost and yeah. back, like right off the bridge. But now they, ex- they did extend it. Yeah. So it's a mile into It's the mostly on a highway, but you wouldn't believe the, the Bronx people who do come out and cheer. And then back to Manhattan for the final stretch. It just, you go, uh, that, you, it must be so, at that point, you must be just so exhausted. When you start arriving into Manhattan again, it is a really good feeling because you'd already been in Manhattan. And when you're up on First Avenue, you can hear the crowds all the way in the park cheering the people who are much closer to the end than you. Can you go through the park, go down Cat Hill, which is one of the worst parts to run up. It's a big hill, but on the east side, we get to run down Cat Hill. Then mm-hmm. you exit the park again by the plaza and then run back into the park. Right. Towards and, the right near the, the finish line is a tavern on the green, tavern right? Tavern on the green is the finish line. And so, and what greets you there, Tanya? Not only are thousands of people greeting you, there is a statue that's there. Now, it's not there all the time. It's only there for the race. They pull, they pull it up towards the finish line. It's Fred Lebeau. It's, he's standing there, and every year he watches in statue form. Now, the statue is actually, it stands on 90th Street on the east side at what they call the Engineer's Gate. It was unveiled in 1994. What was so fa- interesting about getting this statue into the park, because it's obviously a very new statue, is that at the time, there hadn't been any new statues in Central Park for over 50 years. His pose is really kind of unclassical, to say the least. I think he's, he's looking at his wristwatch. He, he is. Timing he's, himself. He is looking at the wristwatch. Some of his friends, uh, you know, who were around for the unveiling, they, did, they didn't like it. They, apparently, he didn't really use his wristwatch all that much. Yeah, and the other controversy is because the, I think some of the Orthodox Jews, it's um, against the religion to have an image a in your... A graven image. And so they had to, the day before they unveiled it, they had to make some... They chipped the hand a little bit so that it would be an imperfect image It's an imperfect image, image of Fred. Of but the fact that it's pulled towards the finish line at the very end is um, this very symbolic, wonderful thing. So you'll have to look for Fred. Yeah, I will look for time. Fred. They also put a giant like space blanket over you, and they hand you a medal, and then you wait about an hour to get your bag, which is really the worst part of the entire experience. That final, well, the, the, the cool down? Looking for the UPS man who has your belongings <laughs> right. and your cell phone so you can get the heck out of Dodge. Well, I wish you so much luck in the... I'm, I'll, I'll come and you on at some designated point i'll just you have to send me your coordinates from your chip and your shoe and um if you are listening to this in real time the marathon is this weekend on november 2nd 2008 and uh, there's so many places in the city to watch it so just uh, go find a map and find you can a go to new york roadrunners nyrr.org and you can see the map of the race. And you can, if you want to see a few pictures of the race and everything else that we do, you can go to our own website at BoweryBoysPodcast.com. Special announcement, next week there will not be a show. I'm Aww, sorry. I'm but, very sad. Well, it's a, it's election day on the, on the same day that we normally record, so it might be a little chaotic that week. So we're, we're going to skip one week, but we have a... F- awesome episode for two weeks tom and i are already preparing for it so thank you very much for listening tanya good luck and thank, thank you, you so much for having me uh, back of and course i had a blast and maybe i'll bring you back for the new york giants or something oh, that i don't think i can do <laughs> okay all right somewhere else all right thank you very much for listening have a great new york week whether you live here or not <laughs>